Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Well, you know, we have been celebrating this incredible victory of Easter Sunday. The worship has been amazing. I've been so encouraged to worship. And I want to thank you for joining us and being a part of this big Easter Sunday celebration. I'm getting ready to share what may be one of the most critical messages that we could ever share about the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Easter Sunday, what does it mean? How did we arrive here? What was the price that Jesus paid? We're going to walk through the final hours of his earthly life before the cross and and take those steps with him. It's going to be life-changing. While you're getting ready, call someone, message someone, tag someone, say, come on, let's get in this moment. It's going to be amazing. And then comment and share and interact with us. We always want you to know that right now there are people ready to receive your calls, your messages. Pastors are ready. We're ready to live chat with you and just encourage you in this moment. So we're here. Reach out to us. We'd love to do anything we could to help you. It's Easter Sunday and it's a day of celebration and a day of victory. Maybe we've never needed a celebration more than right now. This is the Easter that will long be remembered. The Easter that came in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. But today, I want us to focus on not what's wrong, but what's right. Today, I want to speak a word of hope and victory and encouragement into your life because I believe that God is still in control. What about you? Easter means that Satan threw everything he had at Jesus. Easter means that everyone misunderstood and walked off and left him alone in those final hours. But it also means that God never gave up on us. And God never gave up on them. And today, maybe you're taking some of the toughest blows of your life. Maybe right now you're wondering, what does the future hold? Let's go in to the final 24 hours of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate the resurrection, but you know, we need to understand the price that was paid that led up to this incredible moment that we're celebrating today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Victory Sunday. This is the Super Bowl for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're celebrating. But what price did he pay? What did it cost Jesus to come to that moment, to die on the cross and be laid in a tomb? What happened to lead up to that incredible morning of resurrection? Well, for three years, Jesus had traveled the the Palestine, that area, preaching and teaching with authority, amazing the people that heard him. He had been there, and before them, they had seen the miracles. He had proven himself without question to be the Son of God. And curiosity was growing, and hope was growing, and, and, and everyone was talking about him. And just a week before this time, he had triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. The city exploded with excitement as Jesus rode in on a donkey. And you see, hope was growing, and anticipation was growing, and the crowds were growing. It was an amazing time, but at the very same time, The fear of the religious leaders was growing. And their determination to eliminate him at any cost was growing. And that triumphal entry, when the city exploded, sealed his fate 
in their eyes. But I want you to know something. Although these last hours in the life of Jesus may seem like that he was out of control and that Satan was having his way, God is still in control. Do you know what we read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8? If the demonic principalities, if Satan and those working with him had understood what was happening, they would have never crucified Jesus. They would have never sent him to the cross. I want you to know when it looks like you may be losing, you're winning. If you're in the hands of God, God will always have the final word. And so he gathers with his disciples on that final night. They're there in the upper room for the Last Supper. There he would share with them important things to prepare them to carry on after his death and resurrection. It was there that he said, my blood that I'm about to shed will establish a new covenant. It will fulfill everything that's been prophesied. It will fulfill all of the law. It will be everything God wanted to do. It's a new covenant. It's in my blood. Judas, one of the very 12, would leave that gathering, that intimate gathering of those closest to him, and go make the final deal. They would leave the upper room and go out the darkened streets of Jerusalem and go through the eastern gate where he had triumphantly ridden in a week before. And now, in the cover of darkness, he and 11 would go find the Garden of Gethsemane on the slope of the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus would kneel and begin to pray. There he would say, Father, is there any way this cup from can pass from me. And he would rise and go back to the sleeping disciples and said, could you not pray with me? At that very moment, while he is praying, while he is making the final decision to go to the cross, at any cost, Judas, the betrayer, is coming with him with a group of guards and a crowd that were coming after him. They were coming under the cover of darkness because they feared the love and the admiration of everyone there in the city, the common man, the rich man, the Josephs of Arimathea, and the little beggars along the way had been convinced Jesus is the Son of God. And so he kneels again and he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And he would arise and Judas would come and betray him with a kiss and they would grab him out of the garden. Some people say he was arrested there. Jesus was never arrested because he was never a criminal. Jesus was kidnapped. Jesus was abducted under the cover of darkness by an illegal crowd and a betraying follower and they They found him, grabbed him. He went willingly, and off he was carried to the high priest's home, Caiaphas. And the interrogation would begin. Many came and made false charges against him. Some say they had even paid men to come in and lie about him, trying to find something they could charge him with. But even in that moment where no one was on his side, the disciples had fled from him when the mob with Judas came into the Garden of Gethsemane. He was completely alone. No one was there. And yet they could find nothing wrong with him in the home of Caiaphas. Finally, the high priest frustrated and said, Tell us, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And knowing it was his time, he boldly says, Yes. That's who I am. They had what they wanted. They said, this is enough. He's a blasphemer. Well, if he would have told a lie, he was a blasphemer. But he told the truth. So he stays in the home of Caiaphas for the rest of the night, but not as a welcome guest, as a prisoner. They would beat him. They would spit on him. They would mock him. They would cover his head and punch his face and say, if you're a prophet, tell us who just hit you. Throughout the night, no rest. No rest, only insults, only torture. He was hurried to the judgment hall of Pilate. Why Pilate? Because Jerusalem and Israel was under Roman guard. 
And the Jews wanted one thing. Oh, they were given the rights to follow their own religious practices and customs, but only Rome could give the verdict of death. And so they bring him to the Roman governor. And Pilate, who had been the judge over many of these types of proceedings, instantly knew this man's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's guilty of none of these charges. And he tried to convince the crowd, let this man go. I find no fault in him, was Pilate's testimony. But the crowd, whipped into a fury by their own religious leaders that were failing them in the worst way possible, shouted, we want him to die. We want him to be crucified. Pilate says, let's send him off to Herod. Let Herod make a decision. Herod sends him back because he knows Jesus is innocent and the choice will be his. He, he uh, would, 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 would uh, call for a moment of interrogation. He's thinking, he said, oh, yes, Barabbas. There's a custom to release a prisoner at this time. And so he remembers Barabbas, the worst prisoner in the Roman jail. Surely, he says, they'll never choose Barabbas above Jesus. So he says, I'm going to release a prisoner as my custom during Passover. Which one would you want released, Barabbas or Jesus? And they screamed out unexpectedly to Pilate, free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate has done everything that he can do. The man has tried to get others to make the decision for him. He has tried to barter and convince the screaming crowd that Jesus should not die. But it falls back to Pilate. It falls to his choice. Do you know, my friend, no one can choose that decision. No one can reject him or accept him for you but you alone. And Pilate is trapped with his own choice. And he acquiesces and he gives in and he surrenders to the will of the crowd and the cry of the leaders and says, okay, take him away, crucify him, let his blood be on you and on your children. And they accept that penalty on their lives that day. Jesus was taken away by the guards. And on the way to the cross, he was introduced to some torture that is hard for us to even understand or comprehend. The whipping posts. The scourging post were about to meet the only companions that accompanied Jesus to the cross. Everyone else had left him. His friends, his disciples, everyone had fled away. And now Jesus is headed to the cross. Pilate has given the verdict. But on the way, as if crucifixion was not enough, they would scourge him. They would take him to a heavy wooden post. And there they would tie his hands. And they would find what they called in that day a cat of nine tails. It was really nine whips in one. The cat of nine tails. An instrument of Roman torture. Every strand of the leather whip was laced with broken bone. Would cause the whip to rip his skin. But these items would grab chunks of flesh and ripped them away. And they took Jesus to the scourging post and began to beat the Son of God and beat the Son of God again and again on the innocent back of Jesus. The cat of nine tails would fall. 39 times they would lash his back. 39 times nine they would lash his back. The whip would rip the flesh. The items sewn on the straps would pull his flesh away. It was horrendous as they beat him in a fury. Blood was flying. Flesh was flying. When they were through with the whipping post, the scourging, you could see the ribs through his back. You could see blood 
gushing from a thousand wounds. You could see ribbons of skin from his waist. The side of his back was so horrible you could hardly look at it. But the whip had also reached around to the front, come around the sides, ripped and clawed his flesh away. Some of the blows would hit his neck and his shoulders. He was whipped. He was scourged. But I need to tell you something. Not one thing that happened to him on the way to the cross, not one of these cruel forms of torture was random violence. The Bible had prophesied. Isaiah the prophet said, He will be wounded for our transgression. He will be bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace will rest upon him. And by his stripes we're healed. You need to understand something today in the middle of the coronavirus there was a price that was paid for you 2,000 years ago the Bible says by the stripes I want you to know something Jesus is every much the healer today that he was then the price he paid at the whipping post the scourging still is available for you today and even in this moment under his name and by his work I speak healing and life and hope into your situation in the name of of Jesus. They scourge him. And now, if that's not enough, they would mock him. They would put a borrowed robe on his back. They would take a cruel crown of thorns fashioned from a thorn bush nearby. And they would ram it on his head. Further torture. They mock him. Oh, he's the king of the Jews. They would, they would bow down and they would insult him and they would beat him along the way. Even if the scourging were not enough. So now they take him to the back to the judgment hall. And there at the praetorium, something is waiting on them. It's the cross that Jesus would bear. It's the cross that he would carry. And he laid it on his back. The back that had been ripped open. The back that had been tortured and left mutilated by the scourging post was now the back the heavy wooden cross was laying upon. This cross was sawing into the bare bones of his ribcage. This cross, and he's carrying it. Blood is dripping. You could follow his journey from the Pilate's judgment hall all the way to Golgotha, to Calvary, because every step along the way was stained with the blood pouring out of the wounds of his body. Red blood stained steps from the judgment hall all the way to Calvary. Jesus carried the cross. Some people have mistakenly said on that day he carried his cross. My friend, it was not his cross. He was the innocent. He was the sinless one. What he carried that day in excruciating pain and superhuman strength was not his cross, but our cross. My cross and your cross. The cross I deserve. The cross you deserve for the sins that we have committed. But in the love and the mercy of Almighty God, rather than torturing us, went to the cross for us, carried our cross. They laid it on his back, and he began the arduous, torturous journey to carry it to the hill called Calvary, Golgotha. 
We read the account that along the way, weakened from the loss of blood, weakened from the the lack of rest, his skin hanging like ribbons from his back, now his eyes beaten and swollen, thin narrow slits through which he could barely see, his tongue now glued to the roof of his mouth from dehydration. This man, the Bible says, was almost unrecognizable. The torture he had endured for you and me had rendered him almost inhuman human in the way he looked but he keeps going why and how along the way they said he stumbles and he falls and the crowd jeers the crowd that a week before had shouted he is a son of God and welcomed him into the city this the crowd that had seen the miracles and heard the teaching and marveled what happened to them they so quickly turned away and now when he fell they thought to themselves he's done It's over. He's finished. But they gasped as this bloody, lonely figure shoved himself up with a determination that was beyond any earthly strength. And he continues the journey. And why? Why? Just give up, Jesus. Your disciples have left you. You've been beaten. You paid the price. Just give up. Oh, no, he couldn't. He wouldn't. You see, he kept going. Why? What could have encouraged him that day? What could have motivated him to keep going on that day? I'll tell you what it was. As he carried that heavy cross, sawing in his back, adding to his pain, there was something that he could not escape. There was something, though his eyes were beaten and swollen, there was something he could see that caused him to know he just couldn't give up. What did he see, Pastor? What did he see? The jeering crowd? The blood falling to the ground? Oh, no. He looked down over the centuries of time. And my friend, he saw your face. He saw your face. He saw your broken heart. He saw your broken dreams. He saw your fruitless struggle to make life work. And because he saw you, he got up one more time. He pushed himself to his feet and carried your cross and my cross because nothing could do that but him. So Jesus trudges along the way carrying our cross superhumanly bravely never giving up continuing to push himself until finally he's reached Golgotha the hill called Calvary finally he falls again he is there now and the cross is laid on the ground taken off the shoulders of Jesus but it's not over it's only beginning because you see they carried him to a place chosen carefully by the Roman government, called Golgotha. It was chosen because it was on a hillside over a busy road coming into the city of Jerusalem. And there as those men hung, dying, nailed, crucified to a cross, the local populace would see them and shudder, hoping I'll never do anything to end up like that. And they took Jesus there, the innocent Jesus, The Son of God, the one who carried our burdens and came all the way from heaven to be our Savior. That's where they brought him. That's where he would die publicly between thieves. They carried him there. So they laid him out across this cross. They stretched his hands wide across the crossbar. They pulled his legs and feet to the bottom. There they began to crucify him. 
they opened that hand. The hand that had blessed the children. The hand that had fed the multitudes. The hand that had stilled the waves and calmed the storm. The hand that had blessed and never cursed. That hand laid on the cross. A huge spike. And then they would start. Crucifying Jesus. Nailing him to a cross. Can you imagine the pain? His hands are nailed to our cross. To our judgment. To our failure. To our sin. He's being nailed there. They go to the foot of the cross. They grab his feet. Yank them together. Cross them at the ankles. Take a huge spike. Put it on his foot. And the guard begins. There. The work of crucifixion has been accomplished. He's nailed to a tree. A human being is nailed to a cross piece. They would take him on this cross. They would lift it up, his body hanging by three spikes, and drop the heavy cross into this indentation. Now, they wait for him to die, hanging on the cross. You might think, surely, this story's over. Oh, no. The hatred of Satan for Jesus, the fear of Satan that he would accomplish his purpose, knew no end of fury. He was blinded with fury. And those around were caught up in the moment. He's hanging on a cross. His hands are stretched. His feet are stretched. And he's dying there. He's suffering there. And they would even ridicule him then. Some of the leaders said, oh, if you're the son of God, come down. If you're the son of God, free yourself. Prove yourself. Do you know he could have come down? He's the creator of the universe. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He could have released himself. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have obliterated the city. He could have burned this planet into a cinder block racing through outer space. But no, for you and for me, he stayed on the cross. Why? Because the love of God has no limits. Because the love of God has no boundaries. You see, what we're looking at today is not religion or culture or fable. It's the true, literal picture. It's why we celebrate Easter. Easter is such a celebration because the price to get there was so high. It was paid by God. It was paid by the blood of Jesus. Jesus did not say, I am a way to heaven. He said, I am the way to heaven. My friend, blessing and healing, salvation on this earth and eternity with God is not found through a hundred different ways. It comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Not a religion. It's not some formula or dogma. It is a gift of God to everyone on this planet and paid for with the blood of Jesus. You see, religion has these different ways you earn the favor of God. You do works, you do this, you do that, you follow this, and and then maybe when you die, you get to a better place. But see, this isn't religion, this is grace. Grace means that he paid the price, and I don't deserve it, but the love of God made it available for me. And as you think of him suffering on that cross, you're the reason why. You're the reason why. He wouldn't stop, he wouldn't come down. He was there, He he was dying, he was coming to the end of his life. And you need to understand, as the day went on, as this time moved through, there Jesus was, 
hanging between heaven and earth. The only way that we could be reconciled to God. And nothing could talk him out of it. Nothing could move him away. There was one moment that's almost hard to imagine. When Jesus would hang his head and say, My God, my God, why? Why did you forsake me? Where are you? Where are you? What had happened? Would God the Father forsake the Son? There's universal agreement by those that are scholars and and teachers of the Word of God. What had happened at that moment? Oh, was something Jesus had never experienced in his eternal existence as a holy God. For in that moment on the cross, the Bible said the Father laid upon him the sin of all the world. Every sin committed before that day and every sin that would be committed from that day even until now was laid on him, was placed on him. He became the burden bearer for you and me. He paid the price for you and me. How can I simply pray a prayer and say, God, I believe in you. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me because our sins were laid on Jesus on the cross because he paid a price no one could pay but him. When our sins were laid on him, in that instant, he, Jesus felt that separation from his father. In that moment, nothing had ever come between them. In that moment, it was as if he was abandoned, but he wasn't abandoned. It was that sense that sin separates from God. The Father was there. Finally, he comes to the ending of that day. He is here, stretched upon a cross. You see, by now, the weight of his body is beginning to rip through his hands and feet, and his body is sliding down the cross. He begins to have a a, a moment. He begins to experience something that he's not yet experienced in all this torture because his body is sliding down the cross. He can't breathe. And the only way to get breath is a horrible choice. He places all of his weight on the spike in his feet, and with a strength and determination, he shoves himself up and <gasps> gasps and falls back. Every breath becomes a labored torture. He knows if he shoves himself up, that pain will race up his legs through his spine and explode in his brain. But if he doesn't do it, he can't breathe. It's gasping for his final breaths. My friend, they're watching him. Satan thinks, I've almost won. Those that crucified him are beginning to celebrate. The guards are watching this enactment in front of their very eyes. And then, with his final breath, a shocking declaration. It's unfortunate that in our English Bibles, we miss the magnitude of what he said. But Jesus, in his final breath, lifts his head to the Father and said, It is finished and 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 we might understand that to mean i'm through i'm done i can't take anymore there's nothing left for me to do but when that word those words that sentence it's translated from the original language he spoke that day into our understanding it's not really it is finished what he said was a term that everyone around him had heard before. It was an accounting term. It was a business term. Literally what he said in the vernacular of the people with his final breath on the cross was not I'm lost. I've done. Satan won. I can't do anymore. Jesus cried out, paid in 
full. And they were shocked at such a statement. Jesus triumphantly completed his death on the cross. Jesus triumphantly paid the price for our salvation. Paid in full. No more debts. No more charges. Nothing that Satan can hold on you. My friend, the cross defeated death, hell, and the grave. The cross gave us access into the presence of God. Paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. Your greatest mistakes, paid in full. Your greatest sickness, paid in full. Jesus paid it all on the cross so you and I could receive this amazing gift of salvation. I had to take you through the last 12 hours leading up to his death on the cross because if you don't understand the price, you'll never understand the celebration of the resurrection. My friend, they laid him in a borrowed tomb. And his disciples and those that have followed him, they walked away into the gathering darkness, defeated, despairing, even then not understanding what he had just done for them and for us. On the third day, someone say the third day. Come on. On the third day, they came to the tomb. The ladies did not understand. They were not expecting a resurrection. They were bringing spices to continue to embalm his body. They were not looking for life. They thought death was here. They had made up their mind. We're not going to have resurrection. We're just going to redecorate the ugliness of death. And maybe today you might have given up. Instead of believing God can resurrect your hope in your life, you're just redecorating your tomb and acting as if all is well. But my friend, when they arrived, they were greeted by an angel that said, He is not here he is risen my friend the greatest hope that the world has ever known is the resurrection of Jesus Christ it means no matter where you failed no matter what life or Satan has done to you you can start over again you can have a resurrection God triumph and that moment is given to us it's resurrection day Come on, it's Easter. It's a day of hope and life. And I'm reminded of something you need to hear today. We read about this. Paul, the great apostle in Colossians, was referring back to what Jesus had done. And he says this to us. For God was pleased. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And the Bible said the power of God resurrected Jesus from the grave. Come on, listen. The power of God raised him from the grave and seated him at the right hand of the Father. Listen, far above all authorities, powers, and dominion. He was established forever as the head over all. Everything the Bible says in that passage was placed under his feet. In the next chapter, verse 6 in Colossians, it says, and we, we were seated in the heavenly places with him. Today, The resurrection gives you a new perspective. Today, the resurrection lets you know Jesus' victory became your victory. We need a new perspective. We need to stop looking at life down here and begin to look at life up here in a place of victory. The Bible says we're his body, the church, and that he placed all things under the feet of his church. I have good news for you today. The devil's not going to win. He's under your feet. Come on, stand up in your house right now and get ready to praise God. You haven't lost the coronavirus is not going to win. We're going to come out of this. The devil's under our feet. All things are under our feet. We're raised to heavenly places with Christ. It's your day of breakthrough and celebration. Let's praise God for the mighty gift of Jesus Christ, for this resurrection. My friend, I want to pray with you right now. Oh, what a celebration. Come on, I, I just have to take another minute. Lord, we thank you today.
We praise you today that we've been rescued, that we've been forgiven, we've been saved. I praise you, Jesus. You're the resurrected one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Satan is under our feet. Satan is defeated. We're seated with you. Didn't see before. We're with you in your victory. Thank you for including us in the victory. Today, as I've shared this message with you, maybe looking at your life, you finally understand that until I find Christ, I'm never going to break out of these things. Satan had traps for me. Satan had deceived me. Life had defeated me. But I realized Jesus is the way. I realized that he loved me so much he died on my cross. I realized that his mercy was so great that he never gave up on me. That when everyone was screaming, come off the cross, he was looking at me and knew I can't come down. I can't give up. This one I love is too important. This one needs me too much. How could you turn your back on that? How could we ever walk away from that? Come on, right here, right now. On this Easter Sunday morning, let's come out of the tomb. Let's come out of the defeat. Let's come out of the darkness. I believe in you. And I thank you today for going to the cross for me. I thank you, Father God, that you raised him from the dead. I thank you that he's victorious. I thank you that Satan is under his feet. And that means when I come to Christ, he's under my feet. Forgive me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Put me back together. Set me free from these things that have bound me. I come to you today and ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to be my Lord. Today, I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth, you are God's Son. You are my salvation. You are my healer, my Savior. Lord, come live inside my heart. Heal me where I'm broken. Release me where I'm bound. And from this day forward, I'm going to walk with you in the name of Jesus. My friend, if you prayed that prayer with me, you've moved from death to life. You've come out of a tomb into a resurrected life. And my friend, those of you that love Jesus, those of you that are walking with the Lord, come on, let's be reminded in this day where it looks like everything's changing and shifting, Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still the conqueror. He's still seated at the right hand of the Father. And everything the devil does is still under our feet. Come on, stand up and begin to say to him, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray and bless you with the greatest Easter Sunday you've ever had. You say, well, hey, the conditions aren't favorable in the world today because of this virus pandemic. This is what I've discovered. When the challenge is greater, God's at his best. When the enemy throws everything at you, God has resurrection. Come on. We're being resurrected. Your hope, your dreams, your life, God's for you today. Celebrate that. Rejoice that. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Thank you for being a part of a miracle as the word of God goes out and lives are changed. God bless you. We love you here at Calvary. I believe we're just beginning to see the greater days ahead. Blessings to you this Easter. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.